Welcome to the Choya Needles Show. Choya Needles is centered in Joshua Tree, California, and this is our first chance to have a podcast. And our whole goal is to introduce folks to poetry from our area. And also there are people who come through our area who are poets who just love to come and share with us. So it's going to be a run. We're going to see what happens. Our first guest is Cynthia Anderson, who, who does live here in Yucca Valley and has been writing poetry for three or four years <laughs> <laughs> and kind of knows what she's doing. So we're going to start her off. And since our podcast is about poetry and local literature and art, we're going to let her start off with a poem and then we'll start talking about other stuff. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. This poem is called Salvatore Ambulando, which means it is solved by walking. There are no cloths of heaven here, only sand and clay tamped into trails by comings and goings unseen. I add tread of sneakers to imprints of paws, coyote, bobcat, jackrabbit, cottontail, Animal hunger travels fast, breath following breath, no holding back when the way is clear. What walking can't solve isn't worth solving. I follow the hunters, the hunted, the unborn, the ghosts, the hum in my skull that comes from a dream. I'm looking out the window and seeing exactly what you're talking about as you say it. So that's kind of really cool for me. Um, for folks who are listening, there are cactus growing, rocks growing out of the, uh, the hill. And uh, are those trees. What are those trees? Uh, junipers. The junipers. Yeah. Right there. So there's green and brown and all these colors. And I, I could feel what she was reading there. Um, and that came from your new book called Route. Can you tell us how that came about? Right. Uh, well, you know, since I moved to the desert in 2008, um, I've been writing a lot of poetry. And it seems like every couple of years I end up with a big pile of poems and it's time for a new book. So right on schedule this summer, there I am with my big pile of poems. And I'm really grateful to you, Rich, for publishing it uh, in this collection. So, And most of the poems in this collection are about my neighborhood and the property where I live, um, you know, the immediate surroundings, which is really literally on the edge of the wild in the desert. We have a lot of wildlife right here, right outside our door. Which brings me to the next poem. Okay. <laughs> this poem is called Catamount, and it's about um, a mountain lion we saw in our property last summer. Uh, that was a pretty hair-raising encounter, but um, it was it was thrilling. Uh, once was probably enough, but that's you know we're still grateful to have seen um, a mountain lion up that close. So Catamount is just another name for a mountain lion, and this poem has an epigraph by D. H. Lawrence. And I think in this empty world there was room for me and a mountain lion. <laughs> we can't turn away. Now she's let herself be seen. Unperturbed, she stares back, then ambles to the neighbors, 
leaving tracks that prove she's no bobcat. On the edge of the wild, in another drought year, she finds water near houses, shuns the cover of rocks at dawn and dusk, weaves over dirt roads, circles, corrals. Stories reappear. The attack years ago, a man seized while tending horses. The only reason he lived, a dog named Lucky. And the hideout under a juniper, ground littered with fur and skin. Sooner or later, ghost cats move on. But when she stood by our pine trees, facing our disbelief, we knew a taboo had been broken. <laughs> Your poems uh, gather a, a scene and tell us lots about how you get to that scene and then bring us into what you're seeing and, and give us a, a clue of what the, like the animal here, what the animal is thinking, which is really cool. I, I, it's like a little package all together. Right. And while that's really great, it's really hard to talk about something that's already complete. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm thinking about, we have a title of a book, Route, and I, was, I have to ask, are you thinking about the route that you walk on, or the route that you drive on, or all of those different things? Well, it's all of those different things, and it's also a metaphorical um, journey, too. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the, you know, the wildlife is concerned, I, I feel like I have kind of a special uh, interest in that, and I want to bring the desert to life for people who might think there's nothing out here and uh, show, you know, how amazing and diverse, you know, this ecosystem is. And uh, that's part of why I write so specifically about, um, you know, the animals, plants, birds, insects, reptiles, er everything that's out here. It's, does it also feel, is it just a human part of us, of, of me maybe, that, that feels maybe there's some fragileness out here too? Oh yes. Because <laughs> uh, we, we're going through this idea of, of all these animals, man, they've been living here for years and we're just invading their territory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yet they seem to be doing fine. The people who, the animal that isn't doing fine out here is, is the humans. You know, we want more water, we want more mm. things. When every time we do this, Every time we build a new house, we're going to be using more water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the greedy thing kicking in, which is actually a perfect lead into this next poem. The Yucca Man. The Yucca Man. Yucca Man's Lament is the title of this poem. And uh, this is based on a legend about um, a, um, you know, it's the desert version of Bigfoot. You know, he's like a Yeti. Um, so, so this is a legend that already exists? Or? Yes, it already exists, and uh, it's actually, there are many, if you start looking into the history of Yucca Man sightings, there's many, many sightings of Yucca Man, and actually a whole, a whole a slew of them, right at the time when the desert really started to be developed, 
you know, that whole Palmdale, Lancaster area in particular. But there have been sightings of Yucca Man in Joshua Tree National Park and elsewhere in the Morongo Basin. So I'm inclined to believe that, yes, Yucca Man is a, a real thing, and uh, he and his tribe are out there somewhere um, where we are not seeing them at the moment. So um, this is called Yucca Man's Lament. We belonged to the hidden places, the far desert you were never meant to enter, gloomy spots you hated. My clan followed coyote trails, found all the game we could devour. Few of your kind knew us, and those who did let us be. We kept to ourselves until we couldn't, until roads and houses reached our territory. You fear our hairy bodies, our stink, our red eyes. But we never hurt you. We ran from you. We're still running from your machines, your weapons, your streetlights and headlights. Now that you've taken so much, you must be lonely, lonelier than us. You think we're gone. What then do you make of giant footprints near your fences, fast-moving shadows darkening your windows, the stench that stands your nose hairs on end? What more will you take from us? I like how you go into his viewpoint right. and share it with us. I'm um, always trying <laughs> to get that other viewpoint, you know, and not make humans the center. Right. And it brings the question of the Yucca Man humanoid. We don't, is it something we just don't know or is this is Some, it guess? Somewhat, yeah, yeah, just very hairy. <laughs> <laughs> hairy guy with red eyes, yeah. Yeah, um, right. So those are, that's three poems from a, a great book of 60 some odd poems. But let's talk about you. Okay. Tell us a little bit about how his poetry started for you. Right. Well, poetry started for me really, really young, and I think it was just a matter of, you know, I loved being read to. I loved the sound of language and rhymes and so forth. Um, and I started writing as a, uh, you know, by grade school, I was writing poems, and I um, would make them into books. You know, I would draw pictures, crayon pictures, and put them together with poems and make them into little books and give them to my parents. And then in fifth grade, I had a really big moment. My teacher um, asked me to write a poem about Thanksgiving, and it was put in the display case in the hallway. And that oh. was a big deal. That was exciting. Uh, kind of scary, too. But um, A defining moment, though, that lets you know I'm a poet. Well, I didn't, you know, I was startled when she asked me to do that. It was like, and then it was like, uh-oh, can I do it? And uh, yeah, so that kind of got me started <laughs> in poetry. So, so I'm sure you, um, at that, you know, when you're a kid, you, you're writing poetry and hearing poetry, but at what point did you start reading other poets seriously? Well, in high school for sure, because, you know, I was in high school in the, um, late 60s, early 70s, and I, was go, I would go into the bookstore and I would read everything by, you know, um, 
Lawrence Berlin Getty and Allen Ginsberg and, you know, kind of marvel at what they were doing and, uh, you know, wonder about stuff. So um, it wasn't until, you know, a bit later, I say like in my 30s, that I really started uh, writing quite seriously and getting involved in other stuff. Yeah. So what, what poet do you read uh, pretty often to make yourself learn more about poetry and, sure. and, and, be, and see how other people, uh, who's influenced you, I guess, is the, is the question. Right, yeah, there's been so many. I mean, I just have, you know, dozens upon dozens of poets who I adore, but uh, one of the top is W.S. Merwin. Um, his language is just so lyrical and beautiful, and he has such depth of feeling. I'm, I go back to him again and again. Uh, one of my favorite books of his is called The Moon Before Morning, and I, I love the way he tells stories in that book in particular. Well, there's a poem in that book, right? The Elegy for a Walnut Tree, that I'd like to read because it shows a little bit of how you approach poetry because he's writing this elegy for a walnut tree and he's talking to the walnut tree. This is his, you know, he's not talking to me. <laughs> he's talking to the walnut tree. Old friend, now there is no one alive who remembers when you were young. It was high summer when I first saw you in the blaze of day most of my life ago with the dry grass whispering in your shade. And already you have lived through wars and echoes of wars around your silence. Through days of parting and seasons of absence with the house emptying as the years went their way until it was home to bats and swallows. And still, when spring climbed towards summer, you opened once more the curled, sleeping fingers of newborn leaves as though nothing had happened. You and the seasons spoke the same language, and all these years I have looked through your limbs to the river below, and the roofs and the night, and you were the way I saw the world. And one of the cool things about that poem or a lot of poems, is, is that you mentioned this word before, the metaphor. There's things beyond it. When I first read that first line, um, I think it, it just brings to mind my old friends, friends who have died already, who, when I read the thing, they remind me of the walnut tree. They, they affected my life so much and became a... a full part of my life. So this walnut tree expands. And the interesting, the poet I'm thinking of the most that I hung out with for so many years was Don McQueen. He just affected my life like that. He's my walnut tree. Mm -hmm. And so then it takes me beyond. It makes me wonder, am I a walnut tree for somebody else? Oh, sure. You know? No doubt. So yeah. it, it becomes a, a poem that you can return to over and over and have different feelings about each time you read it. Mm -hmm. 
So you have another poet you'd like to share with us? Yes, definitely. Um, this is Joy Harjo, um, who was just named uh, the latest uh, Poet Laureate of the United States, which Yay. is very exciting. Uh, she's a Native American poet. I've been reading her w since the 1980s, and um, just I, I resonate with the way she relates to the natural world and how she talks about it and how she brings, you know, human and non-human life together. So I'm going to read um, four short prose poems from a book called Secrets from the Center of the World. And they're not titled, I'll just read them one after the other. Anything that matters is here. Anything that will continue to matter in the next several thousand years will continue to be here. Approaching in the distance, is the child you were some years ago. See her laughing as she chases a white butterfly. Invisible fish swim this ghost ocean now described by waves of sand, by water-worn rock. Soon the fish will learn to walk. Then humans will come ashore and paint dreams on the drying stone. Then later, much later, the ocean floor will be punctuated by Chevy trucks carrying the dreamer's descendants who are going to the store. <laughs> yeah, that's just tough. <laughs> it's just too true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we, we are. We come out of the ocean and we throw our, all our garbage in the ocean. <laughs> right, yep. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's it, yeah. My cheek is flat against memory described by stone and lichen. The center of the world is within reach. It is as familiar as your name, as strange as monsters in your sleep. I have lost my way many times in this world, only to return to these rounded, shimmering hills and see myself recreated, more beautiful than I could ever believe. Amen to that. Right. It was, uh, well, we'll get to it, but the, the whole thought of the walnut tree is an example, but the, the times in our lives when we take time to think about the, the mortal part of us. And I know we like to, I like to avoid that subject as much as possible, but it comes around every few years. It's like, okay. Right. So, You've been in, involved with poetry since the 80s, not just writing poetry and right. having it printed, but you've also been involved with putting on poetry events and things. So tell us a little bit about that. Right, yeah. I was um, you know, in Santa Barbara in the 80s and 90s. I uh, finished my BA in literature at um, UC Santa Barbara, which was really um, a, a BA in poetry. And I got involved in the local poetry scene, which was a lot of fun at that time. It was a big scene, really diverse and exciting, lots of different people, all kinds of people, a real true community. And uh, I had a mentor, his name was Daniel Abdelhai Moore. He was kind of the kingpin of the scene for a long time, and he was just a wonderful, gregarious soul, a really big-hearted um, guy. And 
uh, he ultimately moved away. And when he did, I took over a poetry reading series he had started at the Santa Barbara Botanic Garden. And I kept that going for um, some years. And I also organized events for the Santa Barbara Arts Festival, the Outdoor Dance Festival, and the Santa Barbara Poetry Festival, which was wow. a, a lot of fun. We had, those were kind of golden times. It was... Uh, you didn't was, need five minutes for yourself, right? No, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I also co-founded a poetry press, to, which published Poets of the Central Coast. Um, it was called Millie Grazzi Press. Um, the co-founder was David Oliveira. And we ran that press together for the first three years. Uh, then I needed to step down, and he kept the press going after that for, for a, uh, quite a while. So, um, yeah, that was that was fun too. So, what is fun for for me is I pulled a book off a shelf. Right, I told you about this. I pulled a book off a shelf about two weeks ago, and I just happened to notice it was published by Millie Grassi Press. Right. Press. So it, it shows how small this the uh, community of poets is, but how spread apart we are. I mean, we, we st still learn to know each other and learn to love each other's writing. That's right, yeah, it's, it's, um, we're all connected, more than we know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to um, talk a little bit about your history with Choya deals, and the reason I want to bring it up is because the very first people person I contacted about Choya Needles when I was thinking of doing it was Steve Braff. And immediately he sent me an email said, you got to talk to Cynthia Anderson. And it was true. As soon as I sent you an email, I got a response. <laughs> and it was like, okay, so there's something happening up there. Let's do this. And you were in the first issue. You actually came to the very first meeting that we held to see if this was some some sort of weird pipe dream in my head and you just encouraged me and kept me feeling like yeah this is something we can do and and, and help the community and be a part of the community and make poetry a part of the community so it's it's been a great three years and I just wanted to thank you for that well, and, and I also go ahead I'm I was sorry. gonna say well I thank you because um, this area needed somebody to uh, do something to create a space where everybody was welcome. And that really didn't exist here before you got Shoya Needles going. And um, I mean, I, my whole background is about community and, and including everybody. Right. And uh, so that is so important to me. And it's like, I, I'm just forever grateful for you for making that space for people. And I know other people feel the same way. So. Well, I, I've made a list of just a few people, and I'm sure there's some I left off, but people that um, I would have never met if it hadn't have been for you. Noreen Lawler, Cindy Rennie, Maia, Bettina Barrett, and those are poets from the low desert. <laughs> and it, it, there's Gillian uh, Spedding, Donna Fitzgerald, John Brantingham. All these people have affected my life really greatly in the past three years, and it's helped keep me feeling like we're doing a good thing. And I would have never met these guys without you, so I thank you for that. And so that brings us to, I, I want to know a little bit more about your history 
because I know you have a lot more books that, that we're not talking about ah. today, but we, we should talk about them a little, let people know. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, well, um, by now I have uh, nine books published, and uh, four of them are available on Amazon.com, including um, uh, one called A Bird Black as the Sun, California Poets on Crows and Ravens. It's an anthology I co-edited with Enid Osborne. So that includes poets from all over California. It's very exciting. And also my, my three most recent books are on Amazon too. And then the older books are available on Blurb. And most of my books are available locally in the Morongo Basin at um, Space Cowboy and Rainbow Stew and Raven's Books. So, yeah. yeah. That's another thing I didn't mention, but I will because it's exciting to me. But the, you took a chance on a brand new publisher and allowed us to publish Waking Life. <laughs> it was like, it, it always amazes me and I'm always touched when people say, God, yes, I'd love you to publish my poetry because it's like, who am I? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just love poetry and I love people to read poetry so I want to get it out there. And when a poet who already had four books published or five books at that time says, oh yeah, you can publish my book. I was like, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> right, well, you know, I mean, I feel the same way about myself. Who am I? I mean, who are any of us? You know, it's like, um, it's so important for all of us to work together and support each other. I mean, that's, for me, that's the bottom line always. So from that first book, we've, we've had 70 books in the past two years, and it's wow. amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, the poems we read earlier or from your brand new book, Route, but we haven't had a lot of chance to share about the previous book because it's a different sort of book. It came out a few months earlier <coughs> and um, it includes art and I want you to just talk about how all this came together. Sure, yeah, this is a, a fun story. Um, the book is called Now Voyager and uh, Rich has published it um, earlier this year. I'm really grateful for that, too. Um, so what happened was uh, this really, I have to uh, put a nod out to Jean-Paul Garnier because, you know, with his focus on uh, uh, literature about space, I went through my poems and I realized that I had a lot of poems about outer space. Mm -hmm. And enough for a small collection, actually. So that, you know, this is over the years they've been written. So I put that together, and then one day I was on Facebook, and I saw this post by Susan Abbott, a local artist, and I looked at this watercolor she had posted, and the light bulb went off in my head. I went, that image would go so well with these poems that I just put together. And so she and I started talking, and... I looked at her other images, and it was just like a complete serendipity. I mean, they went together like they were made to go together, even though they were actually created completely separate. So the book in the end has 20 poems and 20 illustrations by Susan, and it's very colorful and pretty. I love it. It's it's it's, yeah. it's so it's kind of magic the whole thing. So yeah. You the poems take us to the, the voyage of the stars. And the, the quote, your title came from a quote from Walt Whitman. That's right. 
which which is a, also a fascinating because he's a man of the earth, but still you took us beyond that to the stars, and, right. and um, of course other images that come with that for me is Star Trek and the Voyager <laughs> going off. So, right. um, would you like to re start us with a poem from that book? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, this poem is called, This is No Cactus Flower. This is no cactus flower, but a very large array, synchronized motion on a spiny host, beaming radio waves into deep space. Each golden stamen is a celestial receiver storing messages from the home star for a winged posterity. The deep central well is a wormhole. If you fell in, you'd emerge light years distant, legs dusted with pollen. Nested crimson petals are solar panels. Their energy stuns you. You retreat as best you can, dazed, skull buzzing. When you wake from this spell, the so-called flower will wither and you will forget its true nature. <laughs> become part of it. I, right. When I was walking up there this morning, I saw the, the choyas, and I know that the flowers come out really red. So I, I was thinking of a choya, of course, <laughs> uh -huh. when I was reading that. Yeah. And It's like we know something's happening beyond, but you're taking us into the desert fl uh, flower, but telling us it's not the desert flower. So we're, we're tumbling into this wormhole. Exactly, the wormhole. <laughs> and and <laughs> coming back out, change, and it goes back to the, just something I started talking about earlier, and I see this in your work of always reminding ourselves we're human, we're, we're here for a reason, and we're here to do things to make this earth uh, what it is, and hopefully to keep it what it is. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a little note here about the whole voyage thing, and I, I call these poems, for me, it helps me to see that even though we're here, we're still seeking a home in space. I think that's where this next poem sort of goes. Right, yeah. So I'll read the title poem from the book. Um, I just wanted to say also, I mean, now Voyager refers to that Whitman poem. It also refers to um, the movie starring Betty Davis, which used the Whitman poem as the centerpiece, you know, of that movie. It sounds like something and, to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... it's you know, not about outer space, that movie, it's about inner space, but nevertheless, it's the same journey. And uh, then the Voyager spacecraft, which has fascinated me forever, and I, I just love that it was launched decades ago. It's still out there. It's, it's left the heliosphere at this point, you know, the influence of our sun, and it is hurtling, you know, out, in, out there in deep space. Wow. So um, so in this poem, I'm kind of conflating my identity with the identity of the spacecraft. So now Voyager. Why am I struck by the strange volcanic moons circling Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, spewing geysers into the non-air? And why so entranced by the outermost planets that have no surfaces 
only bodies of gas blue as Krishna. I move faster than sight with no way to land, a flyby, each object a slingshot to fling myself toward the next. I'm telling you this while I can, while I still have eyes to watch TV, a brain to process what I see, and memories to interpret the sensory input. My forebear leads me to the edge of the heliosphere, then beyond to interstellar space where my signal grows fainter. Soon I'll be out of reach altogether, guarding my golden record, unsure if anyone will find or fathom it or seek my place of origin. Did you hurl me out? <laughs> yep, bye-bye. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the mortality question. Right. Um, and that golden record, that hope, you know, that will somebody, somebody find will out there, Chuck find, Mary. <laughs> yeah, will somebody, you know, find it and know who we are and will they come to look for us even or, or what? Is that even possible? I mean, yeah. yeah sometimes, it, why are we writing poetry? Well, because we want somebody to read it, right? Well, why are we sending this thing into space? Because we want somebody to read it. Right. It's like it's like that connection, desire for connection. It's like, hello, hello out there. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And your next poem, to me, has the same sort of questions about origins and, and mortality. So you, let's share that with us. Okay. This is called Sleepless Night. Against my will, I'm summoned by words and the stars that burn. They don't forget me the way I forget them. They give their light until nothing is left. What do they feel when the fire goes out? Looking up, I learn more about my fate on this tiny planet. There's energy singing through my veins, tingling in my head. The stars stay put, yet never stop moving. What would I do if the ground of everything shifted beneath me? So the poems in this book, I, I love the way you have the two books because these poems have me searching within and thinking about, oh, gee whiz, the big questions that can't be answered, right? And your other poem, The Route, which is a, uh, about our area and about things I can see, sort of ground me and make me feel good about being here, mm. right? So it's like these two different things, and, and I love that they became two different books. Um, and what struck me about this poem was the questions that, and I mentioned this earlier, the questions I don't like to ask myself, like, uh, what, what's going to happen, you know, <laughs> when the ground shifts beneath me, um, mm -hmm. it, that star will still be shining six million years, six billion years after mm. what my light has gone out, correct? Right. So it's like, yeah. and it took me back, even though they're two different books, to the, uh, your poem that you started with, 
because these are questions that we can't solve, yet we, we need to think about them. Our origins, our place in space, our place on the planet, our, our place, period. So I'm going to finish this off by saying, what walking can't solve isn't worth solving. I follow the hunters, the hunted, the unborn, the ghosts, the hum in my skull that comes from a dream. And that just completes this, uh, shows where even though your books are two different books, they're all working, everything's working together. Everything's working together. Everything's working together. It's true. So, yeah. so I want to thank you for taking time yeah. to share with the whole world. We're on a <laughs> podcast going to the whole world, shining out, shining out to those little spacemen up there and to the Yucca Man who listens right. on his little iPad every night. Right, right. Um, and I want to thank everybody who's listened this far and remind you that we're on choyaneedles.com. And if you happen to come to the Joshua Tree Desert, please come on up and, and check choyaneedles.com and see what we're up to this month. Because we always seem to be up to something because there's lots of really, really good people up here. And the, one of the things that will happen on this podcast, hopefully, is, is we'll meet each and every one of them over time. Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com.